Father, we come before you, we give you thanks for your word. And we come to give you thanks this morning for your presence with us. Thank you that you come to men. You come to us. You come and minister. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who came to minister that we might have life. And now for the work of the Spirit of God to bring to us the truth. And so we're coming and asking you again, do it. Speak to our hearts. Bring us to that practical act of faith which you're so desirous of seeing in our lives. So we look to you for it and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 11 today, well-known passage. As you're turning there, it's, um, I want to put it a little bit in context. Uh, Matthew has a habit in his book, or as a pattern, he has sections of activity of Jesus, then he has sections of the teachings of Jesus. This particular section, which is two chapters long of teaching, was pre- preceded by the um, uh, the statement that he had. He was going about making or doing good works. He was ministering to people that involved the casting out of demons that involved healing people that involved a lot of different aspects but as he sums it all up he says this and he had compassion on them he looked out across the the mass of people around him crowds of people always around him he said he he had compassion on them because as he looked at their lives and realized what they were going through and as the incarnate son of god he would understand that in its completion they were distressed word it means depressed they were downcast they 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 were just surviving because they were like sheep without a shepherd that's where that's the last verse before he starts this particular section of instructions in the immediate context it's also important to note the had to do with the sending out of the disciples to preach. Some, in some cases they're successful, in some cases they're not successful. And then at the end of this section, he speaks, and that's at the first part of well, about verse 20 of chapter 11. He speaks about places he had been that did not respond. He came there, he healed, he spoke. Every reason for them to respond to God, and they hadn't responded. But although he speaks to those about those towns that hadn't responded, he's not he's not depressed about that, right? So you have to keep a balance there. And okay, the, he was he came unto his own, and his own for the most part did not receive him. That has always been true, and it will always be true. It's important for us to always remember that. Sermon on the Mount says at the end there that we are to strive to enter through the narrow gate. All right. As I said, the majority, when it says many, it means the majority of people are going to go down the broad road. We have to get that clear. The, that, that was Jesus. I, I wish it wasn't so. But it's what he said. The majority will go down that road. The minority will find the narrow road. It's just, it's always been so. It's always going to be so. But just because there is rejection in the mass does not mean that God is doing something. And so um, we're picking up in verse 25. All right, I'm going to, this is chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And Jesus then, after condemning those particular groups, then he says this, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. 
to babes, to children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. And then he makes a statement. That's, that's his praise. Now he makes a statement about his relationship to his Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Right? This is a, between the incarnate Son of God and the Father. There was a relationship that nobody could enter into unless, unless Jesus brings them in. Right? So that's where he's going to continue there. and says, except the, the Son, that's the last part there, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Anyone he purposes to make it known to him. Now, it's, that's, that's the background to the verse that we're going to consider. And we have to keep that in context because now he says this, come unto me. Right? The only way you can ever know, he says, that I have complete capacity to either choose or reject. Who can know? But here's my, here's my invitation in light of that. Come unto me. We know the passage pretty well. Come to me, all you who weary, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this passage is an invitation, and you might ask immediately, because the, you said, you know, you've seen on the, uh, on the back of your card and all over the walls that this is about abiding. That's our theme, abiding. You say, well, that isn't about abiding. That's about coming, all right? Well, I hope we'll get to that. We'll see as we go through here something of what we're going to learn about abiding, about what we're having now. But I want to look at, at what this invitation is and how the Lord speaks to us and the need that we might have to acknowledge with respect to our relationship. Okay, first of all, I want to talk to you again. We want to think about who it is that he's speaking to right in this, this passage. It says, come unto me. But I want to go past the come unto me to the people he's addressing. Come unto me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's a little bit weak. This is a this is a passage. It's hard to translate and get the, the force of it. Because the part about being weary means to collapse under the strain of work. To to come to a place where you're not only tired, you know, you've you've done work where you're pushing the lawnmower and say, Boy, this is getting tedious. But that's not the point. It's not that it's getting tedious, it's getting to the place where it's overwhelmingly tedious. It's as if you have, again, a I used to, my dad put me to work when I was very young. <laughs> I thought I was young. Anyway, he thought it was time to go to work on a construction job, and I had to push a wheelbarrow around in the hot sun in Florida. Florida is great. It's flat, all right? There's no uphill. There's no downhill, at least where I was. It was no, you don't go anywhere up, you don't go anywhere down. But you get a, a load of concrete in a wheelbarrow, and I had to do that a lot of times. You get a load of concrete and this gets, even on flat, it gets tedious. Now, imagine for just a moment that we load this wheelbarrow up with bricks. And we are somewhere down at the bottom of the road, and Mr. Steer comes along and says, we need these to be up at, at Mr. <laughs> Mr. Garreau's house. All right? Here it is. They're, they're down there, and you're going to take them up there. Well, I don't know about the students. They probably wouldn't make it. 
But I know from pushing wheelbarrows that before I ever got that up to the top of there, I would have to stop and take a break. Because it would come to a point where (laughs) I do not have the strength to push a wheelbarrow from there to there and get it done. So the first part's the weary. But he says, he's picturing men. He says, now I'm, I'm addressing you as those that are weary, but there's another dimension of this. You're weary, but you're heavy laden. Let's, let's make the story even worse. That while I'm pushing it up there, I have to take a break up here, and Mr. Stair comes along and puts more, more in it. And I say, wait a minute. I'm trying to get a break so I can get that up there, and now you're putting more on, and the further I go, the more he puts on. All right? It's kind of like those, those video games. I don't play video games. I'm no good. All right? Anybody wants to win a video game, play it with me. And I, can, I can't do any of those things. But I, we used to play those ones. And you know they were the ones that the things drop? I hated those things. All right? You start off and things drop and you either have to shoot them down or you have to rearrange them and put them in a puzzle or something. And they, they, it's not too bad for a few seconds. That's for me. And then they just keep coming. And they just keep coming, and they just keep coming. Now there's, there's, there used to be two of them. Now there's ten of them. Now there's twenty of them, and, and, and I'm going crazy, all right. And I'm losing, all right. Usually it didn't take very long before it would suddenly be over, and it said, "That's it. You're done. You, you failed," and everybody else won. But the point was, they just kept coming, all right. Now I, I would try to push the pause button, you know. Come on. So I didn't like to lose. So surely there's a pause button. Some of them did. They had a pause button. You, could stop, you know, I can get my, regroup my thoughts and did, then lose it. All right? <laughs> so I was going to lose. I admit that. But the point was, at least I got a breather in there. But, you know, you get in life and you run out and it just keeps coming and you're hunting for the pause button and you, you can't find the pause button. You can't stop the pressures of life from building up on you. Now, when Jesus was addressing, he's speaking to those people, he says, this is who I want to talk to. For you that are weary and heavy laden, where life has gotten to a place where you are exhausted in living and it just keeps on piling up on you. Now, the fact of the matter is that's true for every human being. We are all dying we are all failing we're all failing in one sense that that sounds very morbid but the fact of the matter is that it will come to pass and again i don't mind saying that because it's the first thing we're told to tell people if they're to receive the gospel it's the thing that john the baptist cry out according to isaiah chapter 40 all flesh is grass It's glory. The best that it has is like the flower of the grass. It's going to wither. It's going to fade. Some recognize it and some don't. And we have a lot of ways that we avoid recognizing it. That's one of the reasons why there is a crisis of drugs in this country. Because people don't know how to handle the things falling down and they can't push a pause button, but they can mute their brains so that they for a little while can feel relief from the pressure. I'm not in favor of drunkenness, but I do understand why people who don't have any other answer end up there. Because it's too much pressure to to face. There are other ways people do it. 
There is an entertainment, this, this country, entertainment, wild. Something to go to, 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 to distract my mind from the realities of the things that I have to handle. Right? To, to, to get away from it. To think about something else. To go into a fairy tale world where it's always happily ever after. There is no happily ever after. Not on this earth. No, not here. It's, not, it's never going to be happily ever after. And what kind of heroes do we have in those? We have the superheroes. They're the people we want to be. All right? They are the people, what well, we heard last, last session, about a little kid coming across there. He runs into four people. I remember when I was a little kid, you know, and that was a, that was a great fear. You know, you're going to run into somebody who's bigger than you. Well, there weren't, there, that was a whole lot of people when I was growing up. Everybody's bigger than I am. And so what did you dream about? You dreamed about having a body which, when you walk up, you didn't have to tell them about your brother. You want to fight? Let's fight. And they all backed off, right? That's why we have those superheroes. They could do all that. They're all so brilliant. No matter what happens, they know how to get out of it. They know how to deal with it. All right? And we keep going. We put that up there because that's what we want to be. We want to be sufficient for life. We want to be able to handle it. But there's too many things coming at us at one time. All right? Because you can understand your health and you give all these things that they're suggesting you do this and this and this and this and this to keep your health. But you, you can't keep up with all that. And that's just your health. What about your finances? You can make a financial mistake and, and blow your money. All right? And then it could be just ignorance. Or you can lose your job. You can, I mean, how, who can cover the bases that are out there? And I feel for people in this country because we're told in a sense that if we go to enough seminars and if we eat the right food and if we study finances the right way, we can be, a, we can be that super person who can face it all. And that super person doesn't exist, so there has to be a whole lot of people out there who are failing, and they not only fail, but then they have to feel guilty about it because they should have been sufficient. Because somebody will come and say, if you had only known, if you had only eaten, if you had only rested, if you had only... I'm supposed to know how to do everything that there is to do, right? I'm saying that because Jesus is looking at the people on this earth, and what does he say? They are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he addressed them and says, now, I'm, here's the ones I want to address. The ones who are exhausted and it's piling up on their head. Now, what's he want to do for them? He wants to do for them what the verses right before this said, right? No one knows the Father but the Son, and to whomever the Son would reveal him. Now, it's interesting that, that he would say that in light of this kind of situation. I heard a man complain about, uh, certain Keswick teaching one time, and he said, the deeper life is a great idea if you've got the leisure for it. All right? If only I could stop life, then I could go and do all these things that they're talking about. And sometimes we do present Christianity in such a way that that's the way you have to do it. You know, if I could just step out of life and go into this, then I could do it. And, and it is one of the other answers that some people have to this. There's, I wonder how many divorces have occurred simply because people had piled up on their heads and they had to have a new start and you just they had to wipe everything out. And it was a run from their problem. It was a run to a new direction. Run to a new place. Anyway, but point point being that it is one of the ways a person could get out and you could sit there and think that this is the last time. 
that I need to be thinking about trying to find God. Right now, I just have to find a little relief. Well, that's where that's the people he's addressing. You know, um, that's real important to us to understand that. Now, the second thing, what does he say? He says, "Come to me. Come to me." Now, that's that is very formal. That is very poetic. The way it's written there. I'm taking this from William Hendrickson, commentator. Uh, and a very conservative man. So if he says it, then I'm, if he would back off on this and say, uh, this is the way it is, then I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's probably the way it is. Great Greek scholar. And he said this about it. He said that that kind of gets the, the formal way, but it actually is just Jesus saying, come here. Come here. Now, um, I want to, to get the right tone in that because when I grew up in Pennsylvania, come here could be pronounced two different ways. All right. It was pronounced very formally. Come here. If it was in two words, it was time to shake in your boots. All right. Because it was usually followed, in my case, by two other words. Right now. All right. (laughs) Come here right now. Because I think my mother knew that when she said, come here, I was looking for an escape anywhere I could go. You know, <laughs> is there a rock that I can hide under? Because she had a plan and I was, it wasn't going to be pleasant. We'll just say that. Come here was that. Then there was the other come here. It's pronounced as one word. Come here. I, I guess it's spelled K-U-M-E-A-R. All right. So anyway, but come here. Come here was what it was said on much nicer tone. And it mentioned you could actually approach without fear. All right? Come here. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Come here. Come here. Now, it's important that we understand that he said come here, and he doesn't approach. And that, that's important, too, because one of the reasons I would, I would get in these trouble, and I can, I can still remember my mother being in this place. Everybody, every kid's different. All right? Every kid's different. I was the one of those I-can-do-it-myself kids. All right. I wanted to learn everything on my own. DIY is my, you know, my kind of my middle name. All right. Do it yourself. Now, I was taught that that was the best way, but it, it, even when I was little, it was genetic. It was genetic. All right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn how to tie my shoe. I'll watch them do it, but I'm not going to let you teach me how to do it. I'm going to, I'll, I'll figure it out. I can figure that out. <laughs> so you can figure all this stuff out. But as a little kid, you don't figure it all out. And sometimes you make a big mess of it, all right? And there would be those times you made a big mess of it. And I can still, I, I've got this picture of my mother sitting back here. And says, come here. Okay, come here. The reason she didn't come there was if she came there, I would have kept on fighting. But she isn't going to touch this. <laughs> I'm not going to help you until you bring it to me. You've got to bring it to me. Because if I approach you, you you're just not going to respond. And so um, so that's what she's saying there. And that's kind of the picture here. Jesus is banked up here. He's got an answer if you're in that condition. But I want you to bring it to me. I want you to come to me. That's something all of us did. <laughs> Anybody that knows Jesus Christ here this morning, one way or another came in your life to where you realized that I can't handle this. Now, we could think of that with respect to sin. I didn't say that before, but it has to do with the whole of living. It has to do with the whole of living. 
Jesus says, think about sin, but there's a lot of other features that when we live independent of God, we mess up. So he says, come to me. Come to me. And I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to rest you. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you a rest. And so you come. And then he has something to say. What are you going to do when you get there? Now, again, some would separate these two. I think they're, I think the coming to me, I'm going to give you rest, is the invitation to get there. As soon as you get there, he's got another plan. Now, in order for that to take place, I've got a plan here. And here's the plan. Take my yoke. Take my yoke. And learn from me. Now, at this point in our discussion, we have to... to to ask a question, what kind of a yoke is he speaking of? And we have to make a decision, all right? Because it does not say what kind of a yoke it is. There were two different kinds of yokes that could be used. One was an individual yoke. It's more like a horse collar type of thing. You put it on an animal and then you could use it to control that particular animal. The second kind of a yoke was a double yoke, all right? It was the kind of yoke which is referred to by Paul when he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. All right? Don't get yourself hooked into a double yoke where you're on one side and you're pulling together with somebody who has a completely different viewpoint. All right? It's going to, it's going to lead to trouble. Now, the question comes, which is he speaking about here? And Although it doesn't completely change the passage, it does have an impact on how we interpret what we're, what we're hearing here. Now, I'm going to suggest the second is what he's thinking about here. That the picture here is of being yoked together with Jesus Christ in the other, in the other half. And it's, it's out of that. that it's, to me, one of those dimensions of abiding that we, we don't normally think of that as abiding, but that you're in it with Jesus. He's, he's the other partner in this yoke. Now, why would I come to that conclusion? I, I primarily come because of the wording he uses next. He says, come to me, uh, again, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, so that could be either way. He could either be training you because you got the yoke on and he's controlling the reins, or by training, which was a common way in that day, to train a new animal was to take a bigger and well-trained animal, stick them on this side, put the smaller, it has to be the smaller one so he can't win the fights. The smaller one goes on this side, and this one keeps that one under control until the new guy learns the ropes. All right? And in a sense, I think that's the picture that he has here. But why do we come to that conclusion? We have to decide. After he says that, he says, you're going to learn from me because I am meek and lowly of heart. In, my, in the passage we read tonight, it was the gentle and lowly of heart. Now, those two words are put together a number of times in the New Testament. But the interesting feature about this one is this is, I think, the only time that it is in that order where meekness is first and humility is second, all right? All the other times, they put the humility first and the meekness follows. When Paul speaks about the church and living in the church in a manner worthy of the Lord, you're going to have to walk with all humility and meekness. All right, That's the general pattern. But this time, he puts meekness first. Well, what is the meaning of the word meekness? Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh, 
And way back, somewhere along the line, the fathers of Pittsburgh decided that they needed parks for the people for recreation. There was one put north of the city. There was one put south of the city. How about this for elaborate names? The one north of the city, which I was close to, was called North Park. All right? So how about that? I, thought that, I always wonder why they didn't come up with it. Anyway, it was North Park. I lived, my, the, the home where I was living in virtually backed up to North Park, so I played a lot in those, those woods back in there. It was kind of a remote spot. in it. But anyway, back there. But my parents would take me to the park on a lot of occasions. It was just down the road. This was the 1950s. And in the 1950s, in that park, they still mowed the grass with teams of horses. All right, they had these teams that would, and they get these big fields that were out there, and they would mow them down with these teams of horses. And we could go to the the stables in the park where those horses were put up. All right, whatever the proper name for that is, stable, I guess. Anyway, they were kept there. Those things were massive. Of course, I was little, but I've seen pictures of them. I've been around the same kind of horses, and I'm big, all right? And they're still big, all right? Um, If they stepped on your foot, you would hurt for a long time, all right? Maybe permanently. I don't know because they have big feet. And yet, from the perspective of the Word of God in terms, those were meek horses, right? Because one of the ways the word meekness is used, in fact, the most common usage of the word, was to describe a horse or a ox which had been trained for work. It had been brought under control. It had been broken. It had been dealt with to the point where a person could control it. The handlers of those horses were much smaller than the horses. They were much weaker than the horses. But the horses had been brought under their control. In the Roman Empire, the word meekness, or the the thought of meekness, was a negative thought. Romans being worshippers of power. You had to be the top dog. You had to be the one that, that ruled. And they would refer to people that they ruled as meek. People. They were the ones, they were the beaten people. Now, Jesus is speaking about himself here. And the interesting thing, he describes his own heart and he says this about it I am meek. In light of the picture of the yoke, about the only way he could be using that picture, and it would be almost impossible not to identify him as the animal in the yoke. In the picture. I'm not saying he's animal, I'm just saying in that picture. Does that make sense? Because that's what the word means. I am meek, lowly of heart. And the invitation there is to move into a yoke with the Lord on the other side. That's quite a picture. When you're thinking about what he's talking about here, here you are, you've, you've come to a place where you realize that life is too hard for me and I've run out of juice. And he says, okay, here, come to me. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that yoke on. I've got this half. You take that half. Isn't that something? Now, a few things that we need to note about that. Number one, at the very end, he says, do this because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, that the easy word there is that my yoke fits 
The, the word means, it actually means be kindly. How about that? It, it, it means the fact that the yoke is shaped to you so that you can, you can take on this load. And the thought is that now you're going to be able to carry the load. We want to keep that in the mind. This would be the same thing as a, a guy who's camping. All right, he's going to go backpacking. All right, you know, we talk about backpacking. If you try to pick up everything that you take backpacking and hold them and walk down the path, you're not going very far. I don't know if you ever tried anything like that. You, you just you got your, uh, got your sleeping bag and your tent and all these things, and you, you're trying to hold on to them and carry them this way. You don't go very far. But if you take that same bunch of equipment, all that equipment, and properly pack it into a backpack and then pull the, the straps on that thing so that the pads fit your back, you can walk 20 miles. It doesn't change the weight you're carrying, but it makes you capable of doing it. All right? Now, that's important because Jesus doesn't say he's going to take away the weight. He doesn't say, come to me, because that's our, that's our general answer. That's where our prayers go, isn't it? I'm, I got all this stuff piled on my head. Lord, just deliver me from it. Just take it away. Take it away. And Jesus isn't interested so much in taking it away. What he's interested in is bringing you into a place where you can handle it. Where you can handle it. This is very important because uh, I've been thinking on, on Monday nights about the book of Hebrews. It's such an important word he has at the end of that where he says, you are to run with endurance the race that's set before you. Right? We go to movies. Again, I won't say that. We go there because we like to escape it. And, and this is an escape age. Life is tough, so i got to get out of it. I was, you know, born in the wrong age. I, I'm the wrong hide. I don't like my body. I don't like my genetics. I don't like my family. I don't like my gender. I don't like anything. And I've got to get out of it, right? And and all those things are is exactly what Jesus was facing. Uh, we, we might get angry or, or critical of certain people's approach, but... We're all doing the same thing. That is, by as a human race, we're all trying to escape the pressures that are too much. And uh, too often, we just have acceptable. These are acceptable escapes, and these are unacceptable escapes. All right? Well, Jesus wants you to handle it. He wants you to handle it. He wants you to handle your marriage. He wants you to handle your job. He wants you to handle the society that we're living in. Now, interesting enough here, the thought in the Word of God is that you were created with this, with this time in mind. If God wanted to you to live in the Victorian era, you would have lived in the Victorian era. But He didn't have that for you. He has this day. And He has these trials. And everything about you has been, it's all engineered there. And God has a way for you with what you actually have in Him to glorify God. You don't need to be somebody else. You don't have to go somewhere else. You just have to do it. But you've got all this weight on you. And so what's He say? He says, Take, get, get my yoke. Put on the yoke. And that will enable you to bear it because He is going to bear it with you. All right? He's going to bear it with you. 
That's how you're going to learn. You're going to bear it as he is walking with you. Right? The second thing about this is that, that when I put that yoke on you, you're going to find out that it fits. Just like putting those straps on. If you, if you don't have the straps properly adjusted on a backpack, you, you're going to have a sore back at the end of the day. But if they're properly adjusted and that thing is built right, you can sit it there, you're carrying a lot of weight, but you're not going to be crushed by it. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That the Lord is able to meet us so that the things that we're actually facing, He can meet us to strengthen us, be alongside of us, and then at the same time, we will find it to be something which we can bear because the yoke itself fits. Right? But that's not the end of the story, though. If that was the end of the story, well, then we, we could finish, we could say amen, and we could go on to the next point. But we have another point, all right? Because there is a feature. Why don't people do it? Why don't we do it? Why don't we? Why doesn't the whole human race get into that yoke? Because there is another dimension of the yoke, all right? It is a kind of prison, right? Because once you are in that yoke, you no longer have control of where you're going. There are two big problems with control. The first is, and again, we're thinking now about the picture, not about the Lord, but the first problem of that, that bull that's being trained or the ox that's being trained is this. You've got a bigger ox who knows what to do, and he's gonna, you're going to go where he goes or she goes, whichever it is. Anyway, the ox, you're going to go with it. Because when the Lord says, take the yoke, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take yoke. That will take care of your, your troubles here. But I want you to learn from me. I'm going to train you. I, I want you to learn. And here's what I want you to learn. I want you to learn who, what I am like. All right? Because remember, this is all coming off the promise. I want to reveal the Father to you. All right? Because as we said, I, the Son, the Father, nobody knows the Father but the Son, and to whom He wills to reveal Him. Now come to Me. Put on that yoke. And I want to show you who the Father is, and I'm going to show you, again, number one, number one problem is that your partner in this knows His direction, and He's going to go His direction. Now again, I, I realize that in the first round, this is a picture of a person coming to Christ in the beginning. I know that. And I want to keep with that first because a person who has come to Christ has been, now again, it's only one of the pictures, but he has been, he's come into a relationship with Jesus Christ which has to affect his life. It has to affect his life. It is not possible for you to be yoked with Jesus Christ and be going everywhere you want to go. You just can't be doing that. You say, it's not just because up here, because this, this ox isn't, it isn't just his mind that's going to keep him. He may want to go over there, but this guy's bigger than he is. They had other means, but the point being that he's going to be controlled by that. Okay, so on the one side, we've got the problem that he is, he is there and it's going to control. He wants you to know certain things. But there's another side to it. Jesus is in that yoke. Jesus Christ himself is in the other yoke. This is where the humility part comes in. I am meek. And I'm humble. What does that have to do with? What does it mean that Jesus was humble? Right? 
This bothers a lot of people because we, we tend to identify the idea of humility with our weaknesses. We're humble because we can't do everything we would like to do, right? Well, I know my limitations. Um, when you come to Jesus Christ, um, you run into problems with that. He wants to walk across the water. He can. He fed 5,000 people with one meal. He was in a storm one day and said, Peace! Be still. Foom. He went up to a grave one day and says, Lazarus, come out of there. And he did. Um, we are not dealing with a person who has a lot of personal deficiencies. All right? I mean, you, you, have to, you have to think this through because we get this idea, oh, I've got to be humble by remembering that I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, if Jesus was humble, humble, humility has to have a different dimension to it. It has to have a different meaning because he has no limitations. He has no deficiency of character. He has no deficiency of, of capacity. What does it mean that Jesus was humble? Right? The Word of God tells us that, of course. It tells us this, that Jesus is humble in this respect, that he put the needs of a person like me ahead of his own honor and glory. Right? And that's what it says in, in Philippians chapter 2, right? Who, though being in the form of God, Jesus was God. Part of the triune head, Godhead there. He has every right and of that place. There is no reason to come because there is no moral obligation for him to do anything for me or you or anybody else. We had our chance to do right and we chose to do wrong. It wasn't accidental and we weren't forced. We made our choice. We went that way. He is the God who has the right to judge us. And he, nobody could have said one thing. But he didn't. And it says he left heaven. Well, that's not exactly the way it's worded, but he, he puts this all aside. And he took on the form of a man. And when he did that, he submitted to his father's purpose. Right? He was humbling himself before his father in the respect that he was putting his well-being behind my well-being and his father's purpose. Isn't that something? And that's why we have life today. He humbled himself. And so he could come to this earth and say, yes, I am. The Romans despise this. They think that the ones who are really great are the ones that sit on thrones. That the man who wields power, that the one who has authority, the one who has respect is the man who is honorable, who should be respected. The rest need to be at the bottom. And Jesus comes here. Here is God alive on this earth to teach us the heart of the eternal God. And he says this, I am meek. That is, I'm under control. I have willingly submitted. And in that... I have expressed humility because I am going to be here on this earth not to serve, but to be served. Or not to be served, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. 
Now I get into a yoke with this person. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Well, number one, I'm going to start to learn where he's going. But I'm also, who is in, if you're going to follow the picture through, who has the control of those animals in the yoke? The father does. And what is he going to do with those animals in the yoke, if you would? He is going to use them in the service of other people. Jesus came to serve other people. If I am in union with him, if I am side by side, yes, he does lift the load. He enables me to do this in the very place that I actually find myself. In my marriage, in my town, in my church, in my family, in my community, in the time that I'm actually alive, He's going to use me for His purpose. When I'm in that yoke, that's where He's going to take me. He's not going to take me back to my plans back here. He's not going to take me to my own kingdom. He doesn't lift the load so that I can be king. He's going to lift the load so that I can live out my life on this earth like he lived his life on this earth. And the goal of the picture, now again, it's only a picture. It's only a picture. But the goal of this picture is what? That the one who is in the secondary spot becomes like the one who's in the primary spot. That walking together, pulling together over a period of time, this one becomes like this one. What's the goal of abiding? We're thinking about that. What is the goal of the whole thing? The goal of the whole thing is that I should be like the one I'm abiding in. Because it is the purpose of God that His work should be fulfilled through us. Isn't that amazing? I think that, that's really amazing. That's, it's one picture. Now, why do we go over all that this morning? All right? It's a great picture, a great reminder of where we're going and what kind of attitude we're going to have to have in that but here comes the other question. I wonder if this morning you're still at peace and rest. Now, one of the dangers of life is this. We start off in that direction. We start off there. But we have to acknowledge the fact that it's possible. And you're not going to get too far off the line. I'm not talking about deserting everything. But it's quite possible for this one who's in this relationship to stop thinking in terms of this relationship. And when that happens, what takes place in our lives? It piles up all over again. Because if you're not working with the Lord in that relationship, then you're taking on yourself and you were never intended to bear the weight of this life. You were not built for that. Right? This, this is a confused age. I just want to say it's a confused age. And everybody wants to believe that everybody was created for every purpose. That I can do anything I want to do. Fact of the matter is, we all know that it's not so. We were not made by God to bear the weight apart from Him. We were made to walk with God. Now, when we came the first time, we found that rest because we got into that yoke and he began to teach. But it's quite possible this morning that having come to that, 
you've also more or less forgotten it at times. Pressures can come. And instead of continuing where you started, because he says, come and learn from me. The idea is you're going to keep on learning and learning and learning and learning. And you might be in a place this morning where you have not maintained that. And today it's all piling up on your head. And all I would say is this. I would encourage you because we need to glorify God in this day. What do you need to do? He would say the same thing to you today as he said at the beginning. Come back. Come to me. Come here. Come here. Come here. I wonder if there's ones here that need to to listen to that. Come here. Take the yoke again. Think in terms of the yoke again. You You get in it once, but think in terms of it again. You need to come back and learn from me. Learn from me. Because God wants to glorify his name through us in this day. It is a difficult day. I know that. But it's the day God designed for us. It is the day that he has given to us to glorify his name. I don't know what the race that you set before you is. I don't know. The race could be have all kinds of twists and turns. I don't know why God chose for Peter and James, two guys that were Peter and James and John. Those are the three guys that he took everywhere. Those are the three men that he put most of his time in. Why did he choose very early to allow James to be taken out of the picture? I don't know. Why was James's race so short and John's was so long? I don't know. They were brothers. Completely different callings. I don't know what you, you, what race you have. I don't know what situations he's got you in. Here's the point. If I come to him, if I come to him and take that yoke in those circumstances, whatever they turn out to be, he has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for me to bring the kingdom of God to pass. We have security in the Lord. We have significance in the Lord. But that significance will never be realized when we just try to bring it to pass. It will be realized when we come to Him. Accept the yoke. Accept that place of losing control of our life and trusting Him to take us forward. And again, we would finish with that, that wonderful feature of the passage. When you do that, what does it say? You will find rest. You will find rest for your soul. All right? Now, again, let me just say this about the Hebrew view of rest. We think about rest as what happens when you get into a hammock. All right? This is rest. The Hebrew concept of rest was things in order. Things working the way they're supposed to work. Things fitting together the way they're supposed to fit. When I come to that place and I accept that yoke and I'm living with the Lord, being trained by Him, He will bring me to a place where things are what they're supposed to be. And everything in order, I find it works and I find rest. I will find rest to my soul. Let's pray. Father, we're coming asking you to meet each one of us. Father, we come to give you thanks for your invitation to come. Pray for everyone here who has never initially 
come. Father, come and ask you to draw them. Show them yourself. We ask for ourselves that we'll, we'll be given grace under the pressures of a changing and evil world to keep on walking close with you. Staying under the place of submission. Understanding your great love and care. Being trained by the Lord himself to know you in depth. We come and trust you for it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.